You know, when I think about the, the gospel of our Savior, one of the things that comes out to me is that the gospel is irresistible. It, it should be irresistible, yet some do resist the gospel, the preaching of the gospel. And uh, I'm hoping that as I present the gospel from the scriptures and some of the thoughts that have been laid upon my heart, that it will seem to be irresistible to you also. So let's uh, open up by reading a portion of scripture. Please stand, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Please stand. And I'll begin with verse 1 and I'll skip uh, along to verse 12, but I'll, beginning with verse number 1, Paul is speaking about the gospel. And he says here in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And drop down to verse number 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Yea, are ye yet in your sins? Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And if, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Let's go to the Lord. Our gracious God and loving Father, as we read your scriptures, we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit take control at this time, Lord. Uh, we know, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is the only one that can open up the scriptures, can open up our hearts and apply these wonderful truths to our lives. And may everyone here, Lord, have an open heart and ears to receive the wonderful gospel of your beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we read it in the scriptures. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Now, I call it the irresistible gospel because it's the foundation and core of all our beliefs. It's what we believe. It's the central point. When we say the gospel, what are we saying? We're talking about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul made that point in 1 Corinthians. But it's the death, burial, and resurrection, but it is so much more than that. It includes that. That's the central core. But when we talk about the gospel, 
We're talking about so much more. The, rec uh, the record of the gospel is, of course, found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Matthew's gospel, we see that he starts his gospel message with the generations, all the generation that eventually brought into this world the Lord Jesus Christ by his human birth. Now, in Mark, in, that's in Mark, in, in Matthew, I mean, in Matthew, we see the generations in Mark, we see the opening of the, the Lord Jesus Christ coming to John the Baptist. The focal point there is John the Baptist baptizing Jewish believers. But now the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ comes on the scene, and, and John says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. So that's how Mark begins his gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Well, how does Luke begin his gospel? Well, he begins his gospel message with the birth, the nativity, showing that the Lord Jesus Christ came as a human being. Emmanuel, God with us. 100% human, 100% God. And that is uh, Luke's gospel. That's where Luke begins his gospel. John begins his gospel with the logos, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with us. He's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there you have four gospel writers all beginning their gospel in a different way. But guess what? They all end in the same fashion. Uh, they all end with the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So whatever the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John begin, and, and if you read all of them, all the writers, you get a more complete picture of the life of our Savior, the Lord. And we need to read all four Gospels to get that picture. But they all end with that death, burial, and resurrection. Paul refers to it as the, the glorious Gospel in 2 Corinthians. Uh, in Revelations 14, 6, John was given a revelation, and he calls it the everlasting Gospel. So I call it the irresistible Gospel, it's also called the glorious gospel. And finally, it's called the everlasting gospel. And it's all of that and even much, much more. But how can we understand this glorious, irresistible, everlasting gospel? How do we come to understand it if we're not saved? How can this news, this good news, and that's what the gospel says, it means, it means the good news. How can we refuse to accept good news? Don't you need good news in your life? It's nice to receive good news every day. We get so much bad news in our life that when good news comes to us, we certainly don't want to resist it. We want to take it in. So how in the world can we resist this irresistible gospel of our Savior? Well, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we have an answer. It says, by grace you have been saved, through faith. So the gospel is received through faith. And not that, by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of, of, of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, 
And so many people are trying to work their way to salvation. It's not through works, lest any man should boast. I've made this statement before, and I say, wouldn't it be a horrible thing in heaven if all of us were there boasting about how we got there? That would be a horrible scene. I can guarantee you that. So here uh, we see that the gospel is about a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is about an event, and that is the sacrifice of that person on the cross. And then finally, there's a conclusion. So I want to look at all three. And the first thing that we'll start with, of course, is the person. And the person is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead. That's how we know him. And to know about the Lord Jesus Christ is good. But knowing about him will not get you to heaven. Knowing about him will not get to heaven. To know that Jesus is God that he is holy, perfect, that he is sinless and loving and merciful, still won't get you to heaven. To know all those wonderful characteristics about the Lord Jesus Christ still will not get you to heaven. Something must happen. There has to be a transaction. Uh, And it is a good thing to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're inundated with TV and radio and we come to church and we hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gospel message goes out. And the Holy Spirit is hovering over everyone here. To those who are saved, he's hovering over you and you're just being blessed by by a message. For those who are not saved, he's hovering over you, maybe making you uncomfortable hopefully making you uncomfortable. If you're here today and you're hearing a gospel message and you're not saved, you don't know how to be saved, maybe you're being felt feeling uncomfortable at this time. That's a good thing. When the Holy Spirit begins to convict you, that is a good thing. So it's good to know about the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's even better if Jesus Christ knows you. You know, we we get so much information these days and still never take that step of faith. So it's good to know the Lord, but it's even better if the Lord knows you as one of his own, as one of his own. Um, Go to Romans chapter 10 right now. Romans 10. And we touched on this at the memorial service for a a dear departed brother. And again, I want to wish condolences to the family from Lone Mountain, from myself and my wife. Look at Romans 10, verse 13. Paul gives us a formula here for how to be saved. He's saying here, for whoever shall, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, that's pretty simple. Let's read 14. And then the questions are asked. How then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? 
And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? All right, so God sends out his servants. Right now I'm acting as a servant of the Lord. But you are also servants of the Lord. And he's given you that same gospel message to share one-on-one or maybe in groups, whatever it is. God sends out his servants with this message. And they share, those servants share the message of the gospel of salvation. And then sinners hear with the ears God's offer of life in Christ. And it's a wonderful offer. It's amazing that some hear it and don't take it. So God offers this, uh, makes this offer to everyone of a new life, an everlasting life in Christ, but it has to be through Christ. No other way. There's no other name under heaven by which man might be saved. So those, some who hear, believe the message. I believed, I heard the message more than once, but I finally believed it. I took it in. I made it part of me. The Holy Spirit came and dwelt inside of me, and I've been serving him, not in the best of ways, but as I can, yes, I serve the Lord. So those who believe call upon the Lord. You hear the message, you believe the message, you call upon the Lord. Now, that's what verse 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it's a call of faith. It's not just made with words. It's a call of faith. That is the secret sauce, so to speak. And you can't miss, I mean, I'm sorry, you can't mix faith with works because then you don't have faith. It's not faith. It's something else. It's like in the chemistry class. You took one ingredient and you mix it with another ingredient. Now you have a third ingredient, right? You cannot mix faith with works. So those who believe will call upon the name of the Lord. And those who call on the Lord are saved. But it's through faith. It's by hearing and then believing by faith, receiving that message, the gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. Let's go back uh, to 1 Corinthians. So I wanted to take that little detour, but we're still here. We've talked about uh, the person, and there's so much more we can say about this, this person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that he was born of a virgin. We know that, that he lived a sinless life. We know that he was called on by the Father to be a substitute for you and I so that we don't have to pay the penalty for our sins. Brothers and sisters, we're all sinners. We're born into this world with a sinful nature, the Adamic nature. And that's with us even now, even though we're saved many, many, many years. We're still capable of sinning. But now, because Jesus Christ on that cross, on Calvary, took away our sins, gave us a pardon for our sins, a holy God is a righteous God. He will not ask for justice twice. He looks upon his son, looks upon that blood that was shed, 
He's not going to require that from you and I if we are in Christ Jesus. So that the person of, of the Lord crucified on that cross paid the penalty for our sins. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Uh, and we could speak hours just on, this, on the person of the Lord, right? Uh, but something momentous happened to this person. Something monumental, right? And the great event was the substitutionary death of an innocent one, an innocent man, God-man, who gave himself for you and I in obedience to the Father, in love for us, in love for the Father, but also love for us. Who can calculate such a love? I cannot calculate. Uh, but So Jesus served as our sacrificial lamb, our sacrificial lamb. You know, um, and on that cross, he was paying the penalty, not just for some of my sins and not just for my past sins. He suffered and died for for all of our sins, even in the future. That's how precious, that's how potent, that's how valuable that blood was. That when the Lord sees that blood, the Lord God Jehovah sees that blood, he doesn't see our sins. He sees the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why that blood has to be applied to us in the process of salvation. And we do that by faith, by believing. You know, um, there's a... There's a hymn that I, you know I like the old hymns, right? I think many of you know that I'm very fond of the old hymns. Well, I have a hymn here written by Thomas Kelly, who lived from 1769 to 1854. And he wrote a hymn. It doesn't say when he wrote it, but I would, you would agree with me. That's an old hymn. Let me sing. I won't sing it because I can't sing. Uh, but I can read. God has blessed me with the ability to read. And I, I like to read this hymn. The, hymn, the name of the hymn is, uh, We'll Sing of the Shepherd. You know, Jesus uh, is portrayed as the Lamb of God, God's Lamb. But he's also portrayed in the Bible as the Good Shepherd. And th- this hymn here, and I'll, I'll read all four courses choruses. All right. We'll sing of the shepherd that died, that died for the sake of the flock. His love to the utmost was tried, but firmly endured as a rock. Singing about the rock this morning. When blood from a victim must flow, this shepherd by pity was led to stand between us and the foe and willingly died in our stead. Our song then forever shall be of the shepherd who gave himself thus. No subject so glorious as he, no theme so affecting to us. Of him and his love we will sing. His praises our tongues shall employ till heavenly anthems we bring in yonder bright regions of joy. Wonderful hymn. Amen. I love the old hymns. And it's a beautiful tune, too. Maybe one day, maybe my wife will sing it. Oh, there's so many wonderful, glorious hymns. But, you know, he, he, he sings, uh, the author portrays Jesus, and he portrays himself as the good shepherd. And we are the sheep of his fold. We're part of his flock. And you know what? 
I've heard so many messages about how dumb sheep are, right? You've heard that they're the dumbest of all animals, but you know what? In view of the creator of the universe, when I look at myself, I see myself as dumb as a box of rocks. And you're as dumb as a box of rocks. Do you know that? But the Lord lifted you to the status of a sheep. Right? So I'm no longer as dumb as a box of rocks, but I've been lifted to be a sheep in in the fold of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a, that, that's a graduation, isn't it, for you and I? To be a sheep, a lamb, in the, sh- in the fold of the shepherd, of the good shepherd. Amen. All right. We've seen the, uh, and we've spent so little time on the person of the Lord, but we know who he is. He's the savior of the world. And he came to shed his blood and pay the penalty for your sins so that you won't have to pay that penalty when you die. That's irresistible to me. How can someone not take that and grab hold of it? That's the person. And the event, of course, was how he applied that blood, how his blood was shed on that cross. But now there's a conclusion to all of this. And the conclusion is the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. That's the conclusion of the whole matter. So the conclusion was the resurrection of the one who died for you and I. And the resurrection is so important to our salvation. It's God's proclamation that he is satisfied with what his son has done on the cross. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, God's proclamation to us, to be a witness to us, that he is satisfied, satisfied with thee, Lord Jesus, right? It's another old hymn. He's, and we know that because he raised him from the dead. If he still was in the tomb, like so many other prophets and small gods, they would have no security that their God uh, died for them and secured a place in heaven. But we know that. We know that when Jesus died, and went to heaven, that he was raised from the dead on the third day, and that he ever liveth to make an intercession for you and I. So we know these things because the scriptures tell us. And Paul, you know, is very heavy on believing what the scriptures say. Not what I say, not what someone on the TV says, but what the scriptures say. We need to understand, we need to study and we need to know what the scriptures say. So uh, it's God's proclamation that he was satisfied with his beloved son and what he has done for us on the cross. Or else how would we know that all was not futile? Paul mentions that. That we would be most vain, that our, our faith is vain. Our faith is empty because there's no anchor. There's no hook to put it on. There's no stake. But he's saying here, no, we have the evidence. Over 500 witnesses. Some are still alive today, according to Paul, in his time. So go ask them. Go ask them if you don't believe me. We have the scriptures. But, you know, verse 20 that we read says 
that, but now is Christ risen? So he's taken it from a negative, now he's putting it to a positive. But Christ is risen from the dead. And we accept that. And because he lives forever, making intercession, we also who believe, we also who believe will live forever with him. That is why I call it the irresistible gospel. Now, if you come out tonight and hear the message tonight, I want to talk about grace tonight. So I'll save that for, for tonight. By grace you have been saved, right, through faith. We're going to touch, touch a little bit on grace. So it's just too much good news to resist. And I thank God that I never resisted. I didn't resist. Uh, but let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and uh, that verse 1 to 4. And let's look at the scriptures once again. All right, so we'll finish up with these scriptures. Moreover, verse number one, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. We know what the gospel is, which I preach unto you, and I've been preaching it unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. So the gospel message is really was always Paul's main message. Now, Paul gave many messages. And, and the, the Lord gave him uh, a lot of revelation about the church and worship and, you know, the, the structure of the church. You know, we, we see it in Ephesians and in Timothy. We read about the church organization, about pastors and deacons and elders and all of that. But his main message, he didn't go into a synagogue or a group of Gentiles and begin talking about the church, government, no, he gave the gospel message, right? The gospel message. I want to bring to you this person. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you what he's done for you. That was Paul's message. Every time he, he, he ministered to a group, that was his message. And is the only message, why did Paul preach that? Because it's the only message that you can use to save somebody. It's the only message that has the power to save someone. You can, you can talk about theology and you can talk about all the different subjects that are in the church. You can talk about so many things. But it's the gospel message that has the power to save. Amen. So, but to deny the precepts of the gospel, verse number two, is, to, is, is in vain. If you deny these wonderful precepts, your teaching is vain, your preaching is vain, it's falling on deaf ears. He says here, by which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you unless you have believed in vain. How is it possible to believe in vain? I thought all you needed was belief. It's important to know what you're believing in. It's important to know uh, that you're receiving the true milk of the word of God, the truth of God through the Holy Spirit. So we don't believe in vain. And the other, the other way to look at this verse is that so many people come week after week after week and they sit in the pew and they hear the gospel preached, especially from this platform. Pastor John preaches the gospel every Sunday. And yet I believe there are people that leave this place not believing. 
So they're believing in vain. They have not received it because their heart is not open to it. It's very difficult to receive something if your heart is not open to it. It's like trying to receive something with your hands closed or with your hands in your pocket. You can't receive it. You need to receive it with open hands and open heart and open mind. In verse 3, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. He received it, we know, on the road to Damascus. We know that story in Acts where the Lord struck him down, made him blind, but revealed to him the message of the gospel. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. You know, you can go to Isaiah 53, and you can see in the Old Testament that it's speaking about a person. Uh, you know, Jews today who are unconverted, they'll, they'll say, oh, yeah, Isaiah 53, that's about the nation of Israel. No, that is about a person, and that person is the Messiah. And he came and he died for our sins according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. And now in verse number four, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, again, according to the scriptures. The Holy Scriptures should always be the test for what we believe in all matters regarding our faith. The Bible says, search the scriptures, right? The Lord himself uh, in John 5.34, let's turn there because that's, a, you know, the Lord's saying it. We got to read it. John 5.34. I'm sorry, 39. It says, and this is the Lord speaking. It says, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they that, are, and they that which testify of me, and you will not come to me that you might have life, and you will not come to me that you might not have life. So the Lord Himself is saying, search the scriptures, because when you search the scriptures, guess who you're going to find? You're going to find the one who loves you so much that he gave himself for you. You're going to find the Lord Jesus Christ in the scriptures. You're not going to find him in the Book of Mormon or any other book that you pick up. It's in the scriptures, the holy scriptures. And these scriptures have been protected by God himself, by the Holy Spirit. He's protected the writings that we have in scripture. So we know that they're true. We know that they're true. Uh, look at verse number, well, let's go to uh, verse 12. To, well, in verses 12 to, to 19, which we already read, uh, we see that Paul gives us the consequences if Christ is not risen from the dead. And there are consequences. You know, if Christ was, has not been raised from the dead, then you and I are believing in vain. Why are we wasting our time here? Right? But we're not wasting our time. He's saying here that our preaching is, is futile. It's vain. It's empty. He says here that your sins are not forgiven. You're still in your sins. That we must pay the penalty for our sins. Aren't you happy that you're not going to stand before the Lord and have to pay the penalty, right, for your sins? Even if you were a good person, you're still a sinner in God's eyes. You're still going to have to pay the penalty, and that penalty is eternal separation 
from a holy and righteous God, from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. When he says, well, you know, you thought you were a good person, and you were a good person. What did you do with my son? What have you done with my son? Have you believed in my son? And then Jesus himself will say, yes, oh, I see the record. I see the record. You're a good person, but I never knew you. Depart from me. Depart from me. I never knew you. And that's the worst thing about going to hell for those who continually reject this irresistible, glorious, everlasting gospel. The consequences for that is eternity in hell, but separated from the Lord Jesus Christ, never to see him again. To imagine to, to appear before this holy and righteous and loving figure, and they have to be told to go into eternal damnation, that's going, to be hard for, that's going to be hard for many people to take, for all people to take. So you're still in your sins if God, if, if God has not raised Jesus from the dead. And we have to pay the penalty, which is something that we cannot do. You cannot pay the penalty for your sins once you're dead. Once you're dead, it's over. You cannot pay. There's no such thing as purgatory. You cannot pay the penalty for your sins. So it's really situation hopeless for you. Situation hopeless. Uh, Let's not have God's grace be in vain today. If you're here and you've come to hear a message, and that's obviously the reason you're here, maybe you came for the singing, for the choir, for whatever reason, but I think you came for the message. If you leave here hearing this message, then you've heard in vain. If you leave here still carrying the burden of your sins, then what I've said is all emptiness to you. And that is a tragedy. It's, it's an irresistible gospel. Stop resisting the gospel. Jesus wants to save you. He saved me. He saved my wife. He saved my loved ones. Many of you here are saved, and he wants to save. So if you're here today and you have not yet accepted and you're still resisting, why not make this time that you're here, why not make this time the time that you come, you've stopped resisting, you've opened up your heart and accepted the irresistible gospel, the message of salvation. How can you neglect so great a salvation? Amen?